So uh, also you've got your sermon outline on the uh, inside of your um, new sheet. So use that, take some notes uh, and all those things. Um, but as we prepare to look at God's word together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us. We thank you um, that um, that you for these first few chapters in Luke that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. We ask, Father, that uh, as we read and as we think, please help us to believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, risk, I guess, be sounding a bit like an old man. Uh, kids these days... Turn your ear for this one. Kids these days have no idea, right? No idea. Uh, as they download their 20 gigabyte game, as they stream their high dis- definition movie on their Apple TV or whatever it is they've got, uh, they complain. You know, Why is the internet so slow? Kids these days have no idea. I grew up in the 1990s, and this was my sort of computer back when I was a kid. And we didn't have NBN, we didn't have um, high-speed cable modems, we didn't have ADSL, we had dial-up. Now that was slow internet. Hands up if you remember dial-up internet. Some of you, there we go. Well, um, even get, when we dial-up internet, even getting on the internet took time, it took effort. And so you'd, you'd go to your computer and you'd have to connect your modem and you'd hear this sound. See if it, some of you might remember this sound. The irony is that it's taking a while to load. <laughs> so this is to get on the internet. Go boil the kettle. There you go. And so that would connect you to the internet. But the thing was that you would do that and often it wouldn't connect first time and so you have to do it again and maybe a third time. Well, finally, you are now connected to the internet. Wow. And so you, uh, you, type, you, know, you type in your web address and you hit uh, enter and you watch the progress bar creep across the screen, slowly, slowly, <laughs> slowly, and it's, it's almost there, the page is beginning to load, you know, going down the screen, it's beginning to load and when suddenly everything stops, because someone's called your home phone and cut your connection. You see, back in our day, you couldn't even be on the internet if someone called your house phone. It would just t- shut the whole thing down. And kids these days have no idea. You have no idea how good you've got it. You have no idea how frustrating it was. No idea how angry we got. How often we'd just give up. How many years, we w- how, many, how much of our lives <laughs> we wasted waiting just waiting. Yeah, today we begin our new sermon series, as Ed mentioned, Believe Again. And we're going to be looking in the lead up to Christmas at the first few chapters in Luke's Gospel. And we're reminding ourselves of 
the things that happened around the time when Jesus was born. And today we're going to see that one of the things that was happening at around that time was a whole lot of waiting. And so look in your Bibles uh, and follow on as we, as we look at these verses together. Verse 5, we, we're introduced to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we see that they are a waiting couple. They live in the days of King Herod of Judea, and so that's around 4 BC. And we see that Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron, so that means she's from a family of priests. But notice how Luke describes them in verse 6. In verse 6, they are righteous in God's sight. They live without blame. They follow all of God's commands. Now, of course, Luke isn't saying that they're perfect. They're not sinless. That's, that's not what Luke is talking about. But they are models. That is, they are good examples of people who live following God's word. They are upstanding members of God's people. But everything isn't um, perfect in their lives. You see in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are childless. Uh, she can't get pregnant and it's been that way for a while and now they've both gotten old. Now I, I don't even want to uh, pretend to know what that's like. You know, I, I can't imagine it uh, to, to, for a couple to, to be barren, to, to want to have children to want to be a mom, to want to be a dad, to yearn for that, to have a family and not be able to do it. It, it must be heartbreaking in, in, in ways that I just, I just can't get. And it must have been that way for Zechariah and Elizabeth as well. Now imagine years and years of praying and waiting. Imagine every month being disappointed praying, waiting over and over again and nothing changes. I mean, it must have been so sad. Imagine, put yourself in, in their shoes, how disappointed they must be that this thing that they wanted so much is now behind them. They will never get it. But they must have also been embarrassed because some of their neighbours would have thought that this childlessness was God's judgement on them. That is that that God was punishing them for something that they've done. But can you imagine the neighbourhood gossip? You know, the, the whispers about the priest and his barren wife. You know, the, the talk, you know, I wonder what they did to deserve that. That would have been embarrassing. But Zechariah and Elizabeth's childlessness isn't God's judgement. You know, remember verse 6. God isn't punishing them. Verse 6 told us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's sight. Now, this isn't punishment. Something else is going on. And they have been waiting. But they're about to hear some good news, that the wait is over. And it happens sometimes, sometime later when Zechariah is away from home. He's in Jerusalem. He's doing his priestly thing. He's in the temple. Uh, he's in the heart of the temple. You see in verse 10, Zechariah is inside um, burning incense, which is like a smelly sort of perfume. And everyone else is, is outside of the temple and they're praying when suddenly this angel appears and Zechariah freaks out now often uh, you know, we, we read these things and we think oh it's because the angel surprised him 
Right? Like, oh, an angel. Yeah, that's unexpected. Um, yeah, I've seen people when they are surprised. When they're surprised, they don't, they're not terrified. You know, their knees aren't shaking. That's, that's an overreaction to surprise. There's something wrong if you react to, uh, like that. Why would Zechariah be afraid, terrified, knees knocking about an angel? Like, what's so scary about that? Uh, in our, like, you know, you'll see stuff on um, Facebook, sh- people sharing things about angels. And, you know, we've, in our culture, we, we love angels. You know, these mystical things, they're powerful, they're nice, they're kind. Uh, we see them on Christmas cards. Um, I've, I've drawn them on Christmas cards. You know, um, they're, they're cute. Well, I draw them cute anyway. Um, but they're nice, you know. They've got, they've got um, uh, they're praying. They're peaceful. Maybe they're playing a harp or something. Yeah, angels are, are, are nice. And, and when a, a child is well-behaved, we say, oh, isn't he an angel? Yeah, what is there about angels for Zechariah to be afraid of? Well, there's a whole lot, actually. Uh, because in the Bible, angels are not peaceful. They're not. They're, they're warriors. They're fighters. I did a, uh, a bit of a, um, a word search this week. Uh, like, I searched for the word angels, and any, or angel, or any time it appears in, in the Bible. And here are some of the things I found. Angels were there when God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19. Angels were there when God wiped out, just killed this massive army when it came to invade Jerusalem, uh, Isaiah 37. And if you go home or you whip out your phone and you do the same sort of word search I did, you'll see it over and over again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well, that angels are not nice, they're not friendly, they're scary. Angels are God's instruments of judgment. Angels are God's instruments of destruction. And so no wonder that Zechariah was scared. He's in the temple when all of a sudden this instrument of destruction comes in front of him. That is scary stuff. But listen to what the angel says in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. This isn't a... A, a destruction visit. This is a good visit. Zechariah doesn't have to be scared because he says there, your prayer has been heard. Now I was doing some um, some thinking in the shower last week. Um, I, I like. I think the best ideas come in the shower. Do, do, do you guys think in the shower or? Yeah, some people they're just like out. I, I dwell. Um, thinking deep thoughts, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, but this time I was thinking about what the angel says in, in this passage, where, uh, where he says, your prayer has been heard. And, uh, and, I, was, and I, was, I was thinking about it, like, I was wondering, what prayer is the, is the angel talking about? You know, is, it, is it the prayer for a child? You know, the prayer for Elizabeth to become pregnant? Um, um, I mean, that's what the angel talks about in verse 13. Have a look at verse 13, uh, the second half there. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. So there is definitely something about a, uh, a child here, but something was puzzling me, and, and it was that 
in verse 15 to 17, the angel goes on to talk about uh, something and what he says goes way beyond Zechariah and Elizabeth. What comes next is actually a lot bigger than just one couple and their problem of, of childlessness. Yes, they will have a son, but this son will be someone who impacts the nation. And so, has God heard Zechariah's prayer for a child? Is that the prayer? Well, I think the answer is yes. Yes, but there's more. Remember what was happening just before the angel appeared. Zechariah was in the temple, and uh, look at verse 10, because this is, this is important. Zechariah is in the temple offering incense, and the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. The people were praying. And Zechariah is in there, in the temple, offering incense. Now, the, the idea with the incense is that the incense accompanied the prayers of the people. That um, they were praying, and uh, and, and their prayers are going up to God and this smell, this incense, this perfume is going up to God with their prayers. Is that the prayer that God has heard? Well, I think it is as well. God has heard this prayer from the people that, that, that came from the people and Zechariah as they offered the prayer and incense and he is answering their prayers too. He will bring them help. He will bring them renewal and at this time in, God, in the history of God's people, if they needed anything, it was renewal. A bit of history for you. See, God's people had become like Elizabeth. They'd become barren. Life was a shadow of what it, it was supposed to be. In uh, 538 BC, so about 500 years before um, this stuff's going on, God's people had returned from a place called Babylon, where they had been prisoners, where they had been captives. They'd been, um, 70 years earlier, they'd been um, taken out of their own land uh, as prisoners, deported, uh, and, and being held in Babylon. Um, 70 years later, they returned back to their own land. But even though they returned, Israel never really returned to their former glory that they had before it. They were still ruled by foreigners, and that never changed. They were ruled by empire after empire. Babylon took them into exile. The Persians took over from Babylon. Then the Greeks took over from the Persians. And now the Romans took over from the Greeks. And so foreign empire after foreign empire. And these empires brought their soldiers and their politics and their culture and their languages and their gods. And this all had uh, a negative effect on on. God's people and their following of God and, and their sense of, of identity and, and moral corruption spread, spiritual corruption spread, and even the priests were compromised. You know, many times they were in it for the power and the money. That's why they were doing it. It became a political position. They had a king, King Herod, but he was nothing like King David or King Solomon, you know, the magnificent kings of Israel's past. He was a, uh, a puppet king. And wh what I mean by that is that he was under the, uh, the, the, the control of the Romans. He was under their thumb. He had to make them happy. And he was a terrible, horrible man who, who liked to present himself as being Jewish, but wasn't. And worst of all, where was God? 
where was God? The God who rescued them, who had provided for them, who had promised that things would get better. Where was God? Nowhere. God was nowhere. He was silent. He was quiet. There were no prophets. There were no messages from God for hundreds of years. And so this barren people, this tired people, this disappointed people prayed to God for renewal. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed for centuries. But there was no answer until now. Here in the days of Herod, everything was about to change. And the change would begin with Zechariah's son, John. And so let's continue looking at the angel's message, verse 15, which describes uh, what the son will be like. He will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Now notice three things about uh, the way that uh, that Zechariah's sons described here. First, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Second, he will never drink wine or beer. Um, that's not a moral thing, like so. You know, so, you know, it's morally bad or good that he that someone doesn't drink wine or beer. Um, it's actually there, I think, to re- it should remind us of someone from the Old Testament. Now, uh, let's see if anyone anyone's got this. Um, he will never drink wine or beer. Does that remind you of anyone? Uh, could be more than one answer, actually, from the Old Testament in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a bit obscure. You might have. I'll, I'll be very surprised. I'll, yeah, Josiah. Yeah, you're, you're on the right track. Um, yeah, it's actually part of a, um, a vow, yeah, like a, a promise that um, that could be given to a child, yeah, for a child or a person, not just a child, but there are some very famous one people who actually had that. Um, Samson is one of them, definitely. Johanna's got it. She's just too embarrassed to say. Uh, Samuel. Samuel is the other one. Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, uh, one of the great prophets of, of Israel. Um, so there's the second, th- the second thing. He, uh, he'll never drink wine or beer. Third, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, this should remind us of people from the Old Testament. Uh, because in the Old Testament, he, God gave his spirit to people, to certain people, to do certain jobs. And so he would give them the power, the ability to do something. And so Samson is someone who uh, at times would receive, uh, the spirit would come on him and he'd get these, you know, the strength to go and fight and, uh, and things. And here you've got Zechariah's son who'd be given the spirit even before he's born. So we've got these three things. Put them all together. What does it tell you about Zechariah's son? Well, it tells you this. He'll be a great prophet, like Samuel. And God will use him to accomplish great things for his people, like Samson, like King David, and so on. And so what exactly is this great thing that the son's going to do? Well, look at verse 16. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Uh, You'll see there repeated a couple of times in those verses the word turn. Now that's what um, John's 
ministry is going to be all about. Turning, turning people. He will turn God's people back to their God. And we see at the end that he will get them ready to meet God. And we also see in verse 17 that he'll be like Elijah. You know, the, the, the names, the Old Testament things just keep sort of coming out from this passage. It's all through, it's, it's, it's fascinating. As you, as you look deeper in it, you see more and more little hints and, and name drops from the Old Testament. Um, well, here's one, Elijah. Elijah was another famous prophet from the Old Testament, and Elijah was all about turning. He lived in a time when Israel was running after idols. And Elijah powerfully called Israel to turn away from idols and to turn back to the true God. Well, Elijah lived, he did his ministry, and then he went. And many, 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 many years later, God um, made a promise. And we read it in Malachi chapter 4. In those verses, God made the promise that he would send another Elijah. There will be another prophet like Elijah who would come, who would turn the people back to God, who would get them ready to meet God. And so all these you know, hundreds of years later after that promise was made, it's finally coming true because Zechariah's son is that Elijah. He is that prophet. He is the one who will get them ready for when God comes. And so after all the praying, after all the waiting, now God is acting. Now is the time and, and God will turn people back to him. And very soon God will come. God will arrive when Jesus is born in that stable in Bethlehem. You know, I would, I would bet that there are some people here tonight who need to turn back to God. You know, you've been doing life without him, but you need to make a change. You need forgiveness. You need Jesus to, to make things right between you and God. For some of you, you have been following God. But maybe you started to turn away a bit. Maybe slowly you started to wander. Maybe your attitude towards God has, has been shifting. Your love for God has, has decreased. You know, you come to church, but you're, just, you're going through the motions. It's that sort of thing. Your joy in Him has decreased your your, your love for his word, your, your dependence on him, your, your, your following his ways. You've, you've turned away from those things. And maybe you need to make a change too. Now the good news is that God wants you to turn back to him. That God yearns for you to turn back to him. He's not like one of those, uh, you know, those people that when you do wrong by them and, and you, you, you come back to and apologize, they're like, <laughs> well, he's not like that. God isn't like that. He wants you to come back to him. And that's why he sent Zechariah's son. That's why he sent Jesus. He is calling you back. And so what's stopping you from turning back to him? You know, I, I want to urge you, do it tonight. Yeah, talk to God about it. Talk to people here. But do it. Let's get back into Zechariah's story. In verse 18, um, Zechariah hears this news, but he can't believe it. Even though it's come straight from the angel's mouth, he can't believe it. And so the angel takes away Zechariah's mouth. 
uh, he won't be able to speak again until the baby's born. Well, time goes by, Zechariah goes home, and, and just like the angel said, um, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And after all the waiting, Elizabeth recognizes that God has finally acted. And she says in verse 25, uh, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace, to take away my embarrassment from among the people. Well, there's where our story gets up to. We're going to keep looking at the rest uh, over the coming weeks. But for now, I wanted to just think back on what we've done, so what we've looked at so far. There we go. I want us to think back, um, particularly, I want us to think about Zechariah. Now, isn't it um, ironic, isn't it sort of funny, strange, that Zechariah didn't believe when the angel told him that he would have a son, that this, this, these promises would come true? I mean, isn't it silly that this priest, right, this priest, this this extraordinarily godly man this man whose job it was was to offer incense he worked in the temple whose whose job it was to pray that he didn't believe that god would answer his prayers like that's really strange isn't it but at the same time it's not really that strange because we're so often like that aren't we that we struggle to believe we struggle to trust that god hears our prayers but also that he answers our prayers, that he will answer our prayers. Why? Why is it, why is it so hard to, to believe in those things? Well, I think one reason is because of the waiting. The waiting. I mean, think about it. How easy would it be to believe that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers if we didn't have to wait? Now, I'm, I'm looking for a, um, my next job at the moment and so imagine i you know, i pray for a job heavenly father uh, i really need a, a full-time job please give me a job then half an hour later the phone rings paul would you like a job right if that happened i would believe imagine if that happened regularly you know I, heavenly father I, I need this bam it's there Heav- heavenly father i need that it's there You wouldn't struggle, would you, with believing that God hears your prayers and answers your prayers if it all happened that quickly. But so often it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen instantly. Often we have to wait. Might be days. Might be weeks. Months. Years go by and nothing changes. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe, Maybe you're waiting for a job as well. Or for, for healing for something. Or for a child. For a Christian to marry. Or maybe you're, uh, you're waiting for someone to, uh, to turn to Jesus. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. But nothing's changed. You know, maybe you've, you've prayed for years about this thing. And nothing's happening. It's easy, isn't it? To get bitter when, when that happens to get disillusioned, uh, to get annoyed even at God, maybe angry at God, to give up hope and to stop asking. Now, why even bother praying for that anymore? Because it's not happening. Now, I'm a, uh, I'm a cat person. Um, are there any cat people here? No one? No? 
I'm by myself. Oh, Cam. Cam's a cat person. Thanks, Cam. Yeah, well, I've, I've worked out. I've worked out that um, so, yeah, some people are cat people, some people are not cat people, some people are dog people. I think the people who hate cats are the people who are control freaks. That's why they love dogs, because you control dogs, you can't control a cat. Well, anyway, I'm a cat person, I love cats, my wife, Carolyn, does not love cats. <laughs> you can connect the dots. Now, we've got a cat, Holly, and she drives Kaz nuts. She drives Kaz nuts, um, because Holly, she's, she's fussy. Uh, she, she will only drink fresh running water. Won't drink water that's just in the bowl. It's got to be fresh to be running. And so at one point we had this fountain that would sort of just make the water run. But then, anyway. Um, and the other, the other day I was, I was in another room and, um, and, I, and I just heard this, uh, this shouting. You, know, you stupid cat! And <laughs> I found out it was, it was Kaz. So the cat was up on the sink trying to get to the tap. And Kaz was like, screw the cat. <laughs> so the, you know, drives are crazy. Um, the cat sleeps on our bed at night. And where does she choose to sleep? Right at Kaz's feet. She loves it. Loves it. But even, even Kaz would agree that if our cat has any godly qualities, any virtue, any, any positive sort of personality, it's this. Our cat's patient. Our cat's patient. And when she's hungry, she sits next to her food bowl. There she is. She looks at you and waits. She doesn't move. She'll sit there for it might be half an hour go by and, and we haven't noticed what's going on. Day goes by, the cats are sitting there. She doesn't get flustered, she doesn't give up. She just sits there waiting patiently. Now I want to encourage all of us tonight to believe again. To believe again that God hears your prayers to believe again that God answers your prayers, that I want to encourage you to keep asking, to keep praying, to keep hoping, and to patiently wait to see what God will do. Let's finish with these words from 1 Peter chapter 5. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care on him, because he cares about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do care about us. We thank you, Father, that as your children, we can pray to you and that you hear our prayers. And we thank you, Father, that you are good, faithful and trustworthy to give us the things that we need in your great wisdom and so father we pray we pray father that you would strengthen us that you would help us to believe again that you would uh, help us to trust you especially father with the things uh, and th that we are uh, have been praying for for a long time that we are waiting for father we pray that you would indeed turn many people towards you that this over the next few months uh, and weeks as as uh, Chris, during Christmas, that many people would put their trust in Jesus uh, and that uh, they would have life in him. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.